I mean, before that, you had other companies looking at this kind of the, the arts industry and try to see how they can uh, broaden the scope. So if you look at Masterworks, for instance, where they try to pull together investors so they can buy a painting and then I mean, so you own like a painting, so you don't need to be to be a, a billionaire to, to own uh, a, a super painting you can get this exposure i mean when you look where we've been in past 10 years uh, you can really build portfolio of uh, of a multimillionaire now with just just a fraction of what you used used to need still people don't take the opportunity to do it that's where there's more to do here and say look you can get exposure to that you can get exposure to art maybe through NFTs. You just need to look at how this fits into your strategy. It's quite interesting the, the way like tokenized, like the way you can tokenize assets that were before that not really used or like the, the value would just sit there and as an artist you can actually gain much more value now than just waiting for a rich guy to come up and say, oh, I like this painting, I'll put it in my living room, I'll give you like 200k. Welcome to the Invest Smarter Podcast. If you are joining us for the first time, I am so happy to have you here. My goal is to bring valuable, thought-provoking, and insightful conversations and topics to you so you can invest smarter in both your portfolio as well as your life, so you can live an enriching and wealthy life now and in retirement. My guest today is Tristan Palou. He is passionate about all things fintech and is the creator of fintechreview.net, which is a media website with a mission to demystify all things fintech going on around the globe. Today we get into what fintech really is, some of the biggest themes in fintech, what the established banks are doing to stay relevant, how fintech is changing, the investing and wealth management landscape, and more. That's enough of me, so let's get into the interview. I hope you enjoy. This is my conversation with Tristan Palou. All right, Tristan, welcome to the Invest Smarter Podcast. I'm pumped to talk about fintech with you. So just to get on the same page when we talk about fintech, what exactly are we talking about when we say fintech? Because I've heard that term used to describe pretty much anything with technology. <laughs> so let's try and narrow down that definition a little bit. Yeah, sure. Yeah, it's true. Like it's it's quite, it's quite the buzzword uh, these days. It's not as but we're see as a blockchain or cryptocurrency, but fintech is quite high on the list. So, uh, I mean, in simple terms, fintech is just uh, technology applied to finance. So that's why it's quite broad, but you need to have both elements. You need to have technology and you need to have finance. Um, I look at it a bit broader than that. I look at it as innovation in financial services more, more broadly. So new business models or new ways of doing things more generally. But yeah, I mean, literally, if you were to open a dictionary, financial technology is financial technology. So as you say, a lot of software companies would say, oh, yeah, we're in fintech. And I look at it, I'm like, "Mm, no, you're not. But uh, that's that's the the joke of buzzwords. So what is so what are some of the like categories of fintech and how has it evolved over the last like 15 years? Like how did fintech start? Because I feel like it's become much more, it's really much it's encroaching a lot more now on the consumer side. But maybe it used to be more in the back in the back office or something. Yeah, I mean it has always existed in the sense that you know an ATM is is financial technology, but it has it has evolved and I guess as you say is that you 
you need to uh, you have infrastructure kind of fintech so a lot of stuff happening in the back so banks have been relying on technology since technology has been you know, around so uh, all the stuff they've been you know, they've been doing to to manage your accounts uh, as soon as they became kind of uh, dematerialized then you had fintech coming in because and when you are depositing your check and someone was not converting that or putting it in a in in a room behind actually oh no you know it's it's happening it's it's one and zeros so this was fintech but post financial crisis you got all this consumer focused uh, businesses that popped up and this is where it became really trendy is all the revolut the monzo the the wise the, the stripe all this stuff coming and then you were like oh wait fintech exists but yeah it, it's been around for a while yeah for sure it's definitely been around and uh it seems like there's always something new coming every day so what are some of the like main categories of it that exist today and like some of the the biggest companies that maybe people are familiar with and like and maybe just go into a little bit of like what is it that they are disrupting? Like, what, it, what are they trying to disrupt or replace or, you know, innovate? Yeah, I, I guess the, the first the first big wave of stuff that happened um, was around payments. So uh, is, is there business-to-business payments? So uh, companies like Stripe in, in the U.S. or Checkout.com uh, out of London. Um, so, and then you have like, Payments, as in money transfer, so transferwise. So now, now it's wise, or a number of companies in that space, because it was easy to disrupt. Like banks were terrible at it, so um, that's why they, they attacked this thing first. And then they looked at other kind of value chains. So then that's how digital banks uh, came to life. Um, Try to replace the useless uh, customer experience that that uh, you used to have with, with banks. Um, and then kind of looking at businesses, so business loans, business accounts, and then there are a host of things because businesses are complete complex. So you have invoice finance and asset finance and a lot of stuff. But really what they're disrupting are incumbents and most of them are banks or wealth managers or like stuff that like, Institutions that have been around for a long time have failed to evolve. So people have looked at it and say, oh, you know what? They're not doing things right. So I'll do it better than them. Yeah. Let's uh, um, talking about the banks. Um, like, what is the state of the big banks? I mean, clearly they're trying to, you know, jump on late to some of this stuff. Um, at least in my, from my perspective, it seems late. Um, like there was Venmo, right? And then all of a sudden they come out with their, whatever they call it, Zill, Zell, Zell, right? And they're trying to like do that. But even Zell is clunky and I don't, I don't use it. Uh, and then I guess they're trying to do more online mobile banking. And so like, what's, what's the future look like for banks? Like maybe in 15 years, what do they look like? Yeah, so, I mean, some banks kind of, as you say, they're trying to react. So, JP Morgan, they're, they're buying a bunch of companies, they're trying to launch stuff. Uh, and then others kind of, they, 
they've been they've been discarding the the threat for years it's like oh you know ah who cares these guys they're, they're a bunch of nerds in a garage they're not going to do anything then as these companies grew to be huge like paypal um you know, oh yeah, it's just to pay on eBay. Oh, actually, it's a bit more than that, and uh, mm. became a big company. So, I guess some banks will kind of disappear in the background and be, become like kind of um, infrastructure companies, like energy companies, or just utilities, and they will stay there because they have big balance sheets that can be used as long as they can gather deposits to be able to to lend that that balance sheet. So can stay in the background they have licenses are hard to get so they can they can kind of survive like far away from the sight of the normal human being and but i think some of them are trying to push back uh, and uh, as i said jp morgan goldman sachs have moved into cons- consumer finance and they kind of like to be there so kind of try to grow I'm not so sure about others like, you know, Wells Fargo or this kind of guys that you don't see them doing a lot of things to fight back uh, the threat. So God knows what happen, what happens to them in a few years. So, so it sounds like you think JP Morgan might be better positioned to be more relevant. Um, it's, and so wh- which banks do you think are doing a, the better job at being more relevant? Um, and which banks do you think are being left behind? You mentioned like Wells Fargo, perhaps, but what do you think? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's hard when you work for. I mean, I used to work for uh, an incumbent bank in London, uh, Virgin Money, and uh, it's hard when you're a big institution to try to move and and do stuff differently or innovate. It's it's quite difficult uh, because you're a big beast, so like try to move. Um, so yeah, I think J.P. Morgan have been They've been taking the views that, okay, we can't really change the way we do things or can't innovate, so we'll buy a bunch of stuff and, and we'll see what happens. Um, I think some try to reposition themselves or focus on certain things. So City, which is BC, to some extent, they're like, okay, well, let's focus on Asia. Like, uh, let's do that. So some some banks have decided to refocus a bit their attention on Certain, certain stuff just to be sure that they don't get it wrong. And others, yeah, others are a bit like, um, I mean, there can be a view as well if you're, well, West Fargo, for instance, is dealing with lots of problems that they've had before. So that's probably what is top of their mind rather than, oh, you know, Venmo has, has launched this new feature. Uh, and they probably think they can outlive some of them or most of them which is in some sense true not all fintechs will survive um and maybe you're like you know i have a sustainable business model get some profit we should be fine we've we survived 150 years we'll survive the next 150 which is true maybe or maybe wrong yeah i like i'm i have wells fargo i use it um i i feel less and less tied to them i I can't tell you the last time I went to a branch um, and I'm probably just one more ounce of frustration away from just switching to something that's more intuitive and just more easy for me to use. So I definitely view that as a risk for all of those banks and they have all that property in those uh, branches that are, you know, 
I feel like they might just end up being just vacant buildings at some point. <laughs> like, do you think there's going to be closings of those if they can at least maybe sell them or get them off their balance sheet at a decent <laughs> price? Yeah, in the U.S., it's it's a bit uh, behind in that respect to like other countries. Like in the U.K., past ten years has been brutal in terms of branches closing down, and uh, the U.S. and other countries like France uh, still uh, have a high ratio of branches per, per capita. Uh, but, you know, if you look five years, ten years down the line, you won't have that many branches because, as you say, people don't go to them. Um, I've, been, I've been doing this. It was my job, like, you know, closing branches or deciding at least the ones that were going to close. And you had we had some branches where, they, they wouldn't see a customer in a day or they would see one oh. or two. And you're like, why do we have, you know, four or five guys or more, you know, just <laughs> twisted their thumbs and just waiting for someone to, to pop up. So yeah. I think there will be a change in, in the sense that some, some banks uh, have tried to reinvent the model. So what do we do actually in a branch and trying to change it into like cafes or like yeah. more community places because it's true it used to be that it used to be a center of the community goes to your branch manager and this is where you meet other people in town now it's not but um so maybe there are two ways either you try to reinvent the model of what you do in a branch or you close it down and you just move on and there will be a new business but for banks that have large networks it's it's quite quite completely it doesn't happen overnight to say i'm gonna close like you know, a thousand yeah. branches next time you have leases you have like so many headaches to, to decide whether or not you want to do it yeah now and you're talking about them being big behemoths that's slow to move i mean so you have a branch with four people there and no one's coming in every day meanwhile all those resources you're spending on paying those people another startup is using resources much more uh, efficiently to compete against you in the future. So it's definitely harder to move, I guess, when you're that big. And some of that is just unavoidable. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely. And as you say, you know, what you were mentioning about your Wells Fargo account is that there's less and less tickiness. It's, it's not the same as it used to be where you bank with your bank forever because your parents were banking with that bank. And this is the things you do. Uh, now it, it's changing, and the more you use other services, the more this stickiness is going away. There is this underlying risk, which is you keep your Wells Fargo account, but you use whatever, you use Venmo, you use this this uh, money transfer, you use whatever, and then you're at one point you're like, hey, why am I keeping this account? It's it's useless, and and zoom. So it's it's happening over time, and it's an underlying risk. In, Many of this of these banks is people are used to some to use other services. I'm exactly in that point at that point right now where I the only way I use my Wells Fargo account is to have my pay deposited there, and then every other sort of service I use will be outside of Wells Fargo. Something more intuitive. So 100%, I agree with you that that's an underlying risk. There's so moving on a little bit. You know, when I was doing some of some light research on the uh, on the fintech stuff, there's a lot of stuff that I just don't really understand or haven't been following, like embedded finance or 
decentralized finance or open banking or, you know, how is AI changing the way financial services works? So let's try and to try and uh, shed some light on what those are at a high level. Like what is embedded finance? Yeah, I think so. Embedded finance is, uh, I mean, the way it sounds is that you try to embed finance much more in the in the customer journey, so that it becomes quite invisible. And um, it's a bit like the best example is the way Amazon has has done over time, which is, you know, you don't see even the payment. You just like you know, check out whatever or Uber. You take a Uber, like it's seamless. the 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 idea is that most financial products are just enabler of experiences is that you actually don't care about the, what you use. So you don't care about the credit card or the mortgage, the enabler of doing something else. Um, you want a house, you want a mortgage, right? So, so that's, that's a way to try to integrate these things much more into the, the customer journey where it just becomes in the background, something you don't have to worry about because it's actually in reality, people don't care. Uh, so as long as it's happening and it's it's not a hassle and it's not a separate customer journey where, oh, I want to buy a house, cool. Uh, now I'm going to go and check for the mortgages and whatever, and then I'm going to compare the mortgages. And Well, okay, oh, what if I can do all this in, in one go and actually it's just going through. So maybe mortgage is a bit, a bit too big, but... Uh, whatever, like buying a car or um, buying something on the internet, like and you split three three times with Klarna, like this kind of stuff. It's it's embedded finance. Okay, that makes some sense. Uh, so so Uber is not a fintech company, but I'm, but I, let's say they use they probably use fintech services behind the scenes, embedding it in their service. Is that kind of on the right path? Yeah, I think um, if I'm not mistaken, I think they use Stripe, which is a big uh, payment payment company. Um, but yeah, that's that's also one thing with embedded finance is that it's embedded into the actual like customer journey rather than the like starting at the fintech side is starting at the 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 business that has an interaction with a customer. Yes. Okay. That makes sense. I just learned what embedded finance is. So thank you for that. <laughs> um, uh, now moving to decentralized finance, what is that? And is that related to blockchain? Yes. So decentralized finance is, uh, as it sounds, trying to, trying to reinvent a bit the way, the ways of banking system works in the sense that usually a bank, what they do is that they take deposit from you, from me, and then they go and they lend it to Bob and Joe and Martha uh, because they, they need money and you have excess money. So you give it to them They do this matchmaking. The, the idea with decentralized finance is that the matchmaking is done by like software. So, you and I, we put money into into like a, a pool of deposits, and then automatically you kind of dispatch to people that actually need the money. So the idea is instead of having a centralized system where a bank or whatever intermediary is in the middle, you do like 
you just have a piece of software that will decide where where it's best depending on the interest rates and what who needs what. So that's the idea of decentralized finance and and using so using blockchain technology through like crypto tokens and accounts and stuff. But the idea is, is always the same: is that you're trying to match people that have excess cash to people that need cash, um, but you try to automate it. Uh, but it's not, you know, and it's not as simple. Uh, you know, the, the Congress is is kind of grappling, uh, not grappling, but they're trying to wonder, you know, who's responsible in this model, because before you can turn to the bank and say, what what have you done? And now you're like, oh, okay, well, who do I turn to if uh, if you and I, we put money, money is lost. Okay, yeah, but I thought I was, I was, you know, this was secure, but it's not secure. So it, it's it's breaking down so many established things in finance that it will need a bit of time to decide exactly how it's going to work and who's responsible and what securities are in place and all that stuff. Hmm. Okay. Well, I'm still a little confused by it. <laughs> Decentralized finance. You're saying that you take out like a human intermediary who decides how to allocate money from a pool of money. So it would just be more automated. Yeah. And I mean, you wouldn't even have a, a real human intermediary. What you take off is really the entity in, in the, in the middle. So you take off the bank and basically you're trying to match like different pools, like, like without anybody in the, in the middle human entity there will be a software but the idea is that it's distributed so so that it's not the responsibility of anybody like it's a responsibility of of everybody involved but that's why i mean it's a bit complicated and i'm still learning Mm -hmm. a bunch of stuff uh and and i think everybody is trying trying to understand exactly what are the ramifications um so it's it's normal to be confused i'm still sometimes a bit confused when I see like some nuances around, around these models. Um, so. Okay. Well, then I'm going to be perfectly okay with being confused. <laughs> so, but something that I'm sure we'll be hearing more about in the future. Uh, I was reading something. Is there a company that's trying to make like credit scores obsolete and trying to change the way that we consider who is credit worthy? Um, yeah, I mean, it's true. Like the the way the way lending works is a bit it's a bit antiquated with a credit score, and it's quite rigid. And you either fit in the box or you don't fit in the box. And if you don't fit in the box, then you know, too bad. So uh, I don't have a, a specific company in mind, but uh, but there are various various ways to try to look at other. Other data points to try to see if someone is is credit worthy, uh, and that's where really the innovation should go. Because with technology, you could think that okay, well, what if you look at uh, the way I'm, you know, I'm interacting with my bank account, and you can see I have money and money is flowing, uh, even though I, I don't know, I'm a self-employed, I'm an entrepreneur, but you can see that actually I have money. So there, there. There are ways you could you could try to leverage technology and other data points to try to see if someone is is credit worthy. But 
I think I mean, you have companies like uh, Oak North. Um, they're they're in, in the US as well. They're they're working with several banks. They're like it's kind of uh, infrastructure infrastructure fintech, and they use their AI platform to analyze a lot of data to to decide like more accurately what the interest rates should be for for customers. Not sure is actually looking at uh, you know on the on the individual side to see, oh, you're credit worthy because of this data point. They're more looking at, this is all our history of data. Let's analyze it and see if this was a good idea to give you like this loan, actually even your credit score, blah, blah, blah. So, so looking at all, all that. Um, but yeah, I mean, this should be, you know, I, I wish there will be like a word in, in a few years, maybe not a few years, but 10 years, 20 years where Credit score are relevant and it's more okay. I'm looking into you, actually, it's fine. Or, oh no, I'm looking into you. You, have a good, you could have a good credit score, but actually, you're too risky. Yeah, that'll be interesting to see how it goes. I, I found that article I was reading. It's the company is called Upstart, which I don't know if you've heard of. Um, I haven't really heard of it, but yeah, it says they're looking for just like you were saying to use different data sets to, to determine credit worthiness, like employment, history, education, and whether a would-be borrower knows their credit score, <laughs> whether a would-be borrower just knows their score. That's interesting. Shows yeah. that they're in tune with their situation. Hmm. Um, talking about the industry that I'm in, which is wealth management, uh, we've certainly seen a, uh, some, I guess, fintech, right, where they're trying to help people uh, manage their their money themselves using technology. And I was wondering if you have any thoughts on the landscape there and some of the, maybe some of the more exciting things that are coming down the pipe from there. Yes, I think um, it's, um, I mean, it's, it's a part of fintech that is quite, quite interesting. I think there's been a lot of stuff being done around investing. So democratize the way you can invest. So, you know, the infamous Robin Hood. Um, and it's quite easy these days to invest into anything and everything, really. When you look, maybe 20 years ago, it wasn't so easy to be, to be so diversified. And now you can buy an ETF on absolutely anything. And it's quite cheap to, to get diversified and you can invest, even invest into private companies like startups through crowdfunding and stuff. So it, there's been a lot of innovation in that space and it's been quite, quite exciting. Um, I think where, where I'm still uh, looking to see some really, uh, really progress being made is, is trying to help people actually make the right uh, financial decisions. So more on the on the planning side than on the investing so because a lot of people i feel are not doing are not taking the right decisions um and it's maybe because you can do everything and anything but for your wealth uh, it's probably not great to you know trade everyday options on on robin hood because chances are it's not going to turn well um so so I'm, I'm, I'm quite, I would be quite interested to see what happens more in, in that space. Um, yeah, that's interesting. Um, 
I totally agree with you. You're talking, uh, you're preaching to the choir when it comes to some of the downsides of, you know, Robin Hood's, you know, whole mission of democratizing the markets. They've also democratized uh, access to doing it the wrong way for a lot of people, uh, you know, when they throw confetti down when you make a trade and stuff like that. So I'm not, I, you know, there's, there's certainly been some detriments, but then again, a lot of the people, a lot of the new investors that have come into the market, especially mm -hmm. since COVID, probably will evolve and realize that this is really like, I'm not doing this right. I need to evolve and become more sophisticated and other people will get you know washed out and they'll have to try and live to fight another day, I guess. But I see a lot of the technology on the planning side is not really, uh, it's not easy for, it, it's not even available really for the average consumer. Like we use, you know, planning software, right. But it's, we control it. So that is interesting to wait to see what they can come up with to help people make decisions. Because I want to ask you, I feel like there's so many options and so many things you can do now that like, are we at risk of just over confusing people? Yeah, no. So, I mean, I agree what you're saying, but, but Robin Hood is that the thing is in a bull market, everybody's a genius because everybody's buying stuff. It goes up, but, went up for everybody. So if you had bought like, you know, stocks, crypto a year and a half ago, well, you're fine. I think we'll see what happens in in a, in actual, you know, crash and bear market because it will eventually happen. You look, everything is through the roof. So eventually it will come down. I think, yeah, we'll, we'll see how all these new investors react and, 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 and it, it will be, it will be a tough lesson tough lesson for, for me but um yeah no i mean the, i'm really interested in that space and, and i'm trying i'm building a startup in that space like around trying to help people make better financial decisions but it's quite yeah as you say it's quite tough because you can do so many things uh and and do it in so many different ways uh, but, but at the same time it's it needs to be a mix of um, guiding and and educating around yeah okay you know you should do that like around diversification because the the way I see is that uh, there is a huge lack in terms of like, basics of this is what you should be doing I mean okay it's boring to buy an ETF on the S&P 500 but it's good for your retirement so you know you should put a bit or you know what is your time horizon for your money well, if you want to cash out in a year, don't invest into equity because, of course, it's going up now, but yeah, it fluctuates a lot. So there are lots of basics that are missed a bit into, into all the confusion on like you know, influencers on Instagram and TikTokers and and crypto maniacs, and it's 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 a very confusing time if you want to invest. And a lot of the people. Ask me because yeah. Oh, Tristan, you work in finance. What should I do? Is is my money where? Where should I? What should I? Oh, I've seen this guy he said that, and ah, oh, like, should I buy Bitcoin? Which is the question I'm getting the most. And yeah, it's it's a very confusing time. Too much information available. Yeah, so much information available, and getting asked questions like, should I buy Bitcoin? Uh, I just usually say maybe with your gambling money. Uh, but besides that, like, I don't know. And I'm not going to tell you to do that because 
yeah, no, no one really knows what's going to happen on that front. Right. So what, like, what are we going to do? Like, there's no way you should, you should be putting a lot of money into that, uh, especially what you can't afford to lose. And then, so you, you said you were working on something that's interesting. And it got me thinking about like, like that company acorns, right. Where they, so that is at least good in the sense that it's so limiting in what you can do that you can't really do anything stupid because you can only do what's healthy for your retirement, but in, in the silo of investing, it doesn't take into account what is your insurance coverage? What is your, you know, what, what is the, all the other uh, aspects of your financial situation? How much debt do you have? Like what should, how should you actually allocate the money that you're putting in this account? So are you potentially working on something that does more than just that? So that's actually helps you allocate your resources efficiently. That's most beneficial for your future. Yeah. So, so that's why, I mean, I'm attacking a very, a quite a complex machine because as you say, that if you want a holistic picture of, of, uh, of someone, then you need to look at, you know, everything from assets, liabilities, insurance, tax, uh, like becomes very complicated, but yeah, the idea is to try to build a holistic view, like a nice, nice dashboard where, uh, Give me some numbers, and I'll tell you. Well, actually, you know, you're probably not. Uh, you're probably not allocating right. What are your financial goals as well? Oh, you want to retire in ten years? Well, actually, like you're not. You're not going to be able to, uh, even given what you're doing now. So, um, the idea is just is to build a tool to help you make better decisions, but not making the decisions for you. You you still very 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 clear that you know it's it's your choice but at the same time trying to have a bit of a guide where you know should i invest in bitcoin fine what's what's the rest of your portfolio okay well if you don't have if you don't have equity for the long term if you don't if you're not looking to, to buy into real estate and blah blah then okay don't do it kind of this this kind of thing. so being able to guide people and the decisions they're making and it's not and all comes down a lot to you know, portfolio allocation and, and diversification, then trying to layer other stuff, as you say, insurance and, and taxes. And, but it's going to take a bit of time to develop that because so, so like specific depending on where you live and even within the same country, it can vary a lot. Um, but, but I, I like the space because I feel so many people are confused. Um, and this is where I think there is a, a bit of a gap in terms of values that companies are offering. Robin Hood, they don't care about your financial futures. They just want you to trade. And right, exactly. actually, actually don't, don't like, I mean, for me, it's, it's against, uh, we want to democratize finance. We don't care if it's good for you or not. It's not our problem. It's not our values. And I'm like, well, okay, I want to build something where my values are, I want to help you and you make better financial decisions. You know, I'm a charity, like, you know, I help you, you pay me, we're all good. Huh? But it's not, I'm not trying to milk you until you're, you've gambled all your money. And then I'm like, well, you know, too bad, fine. Yeah, yeah I mean, that sounds like a really cool project you're working on there. Um, and if you execute on that, it sounds, sounds like a lot of development work. 
Uh, but that sounds like a good challenge um, because, you know, even the software that like we would use to make help make decisions, it's, you know, it's, it's intuitive to a point, but it still requires a lot of, you know, tweaking and, you know, human sort of input. So um, that sounds really cool. And there's a reason why financial advisors and wealth managers haven't been all that disrupted from uh, technology because at the end of the day, people still need help with their finances. So if you're able to come up with uh, something that actually truly competes with, with people like me, then, then that, that could be really cool for you. Yeah. I mean, um, yeah, I, I think the, as you say, uh, I think there is value in trying to take away as much of you know, the input, like the human input, because people will not put the right professionals would, but if you give someone, okay, here is the model, just put whatever you want, like the interest rates and the average return you want over 10 years or whatever, then people put like whatever. Oh yeah, well, you know, I think I'll do 15%. Whereas if you actually calculate and you're like, well, actually, dude, you're going to make like 3% at best. So yeah. And, and this is where trying to take data from as, as many places as possible, build like a model around that. Um, this is where you can add value is like, yeah, trying to simplify the picture and not let people um, you know, mess around with, with the numbers because in, you and I, we know can you can make the numbers as you want. Like it's just, uh, it's just the assumption. So uh, I, I can I can play around with the numbers and oh, you tell me it should be ten thousand. Fine. Like uh, yeah, okay, fine. It's ten thousand. Yeah, when you like when we make a financial plan for someone, it it's a big no no to ever tweak um, the assumed return because that's cheating. That's cheating. You have to work conservatively. And you have to be realistic. So if you're giving someone the ability to say, oh, I want to earn 10% a year, then look, I'm going to retire in five years. Well, that's just not going to happen. You have to, you have to work conservatively. Um, like we, we like to make plans planned for almost like the worst case. If we can make a worst case scenario plan work, then, you know, there's tons of upside to that plan, but, uh, you know, but you can't, you know, you have to be conservative. So, yeah. I hear you on that for sure. So do you think, uh, obviously, I mean, I already know the answer to the question, but there's clearly room for, you know, advisors and the professionals to uh, live alongside, you know, the technology. And, you know, we can use the technology as well to continue to help guide people and make, help make better and more informed decisions for like our clients. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, like if you look over since since the beginning of time, um, people see technology as being you know all doom and gloom. But what has happened is that it's it's more augmenting people than placing them and creating new new jobs and new new avenues of growth. Um, and when it's it's just about like you know adding more value to to your clients and I don't think I don't think it's it's ever replacing or displacing um, it's it's learning how to learn uh, to work with 
a technology. This is where this is where uh, people get displaced. Is that when they reject whatever evolution is happening in their in their industry, rather than trying to understand, working with it. Um, you, you see, in so many industries where technology has come and has created so many opportunities. You know, look at real estate and and stuff that are happening. Really, really great. That uh, virtual visits and that were not possible like 10 years ago and now you have like software that can map like really nicely uh, flat and you can visit it virtually and possibly like you know buying it remotely so it doesn't it doesn't replace the real estate agent is that they can use this to to get to more customers to like you know do pre-visits so they gain time so there there are always ways to look at a new technology in your industry and look at it and be like, okay, actually I can use that and I can save time, save money and I can, or it, it helps me uh, maybe um, look at customers like that were not economically viable for me. But now if I automate this, then actually I can talk to this customer before it wasn't possible for me because I was spending too much time. Now, actually I can talk to this customer and I can focus my attention on this more valuable customer. So that that's the way. So that's the way I look at it. Yeah, I totally agree. That's a really good point. Um, being able to adapt and evolve and offer more services and use technology to make like for like for us, for instance, client experience more, you know, more smooth and and more you know maybe even fun in some instances. Especially, and also I think there's an opportunity for for education. And to just even just show what's what's out there, so you know people like me can be a resource to clients, um, just to help help them understand like what is out there for them and how it could fit in for them. Because there's so much going on right now, it's crazy, and that got me thinking about uh, sort of. I keep seeing all of these new um, ways. I can't think of any of the names off the top of my head, but where you can like invest in like cards or you know art or you, like you can buy like a piece of an artwork or something like that or you know uh, nfts and if right nfts so so that's interesting too because now it opens up i mean you can talk about this but it opens up you know different opportunities for diversification even and over someone's you know entire you know assets and liabilities landscape yeah, I think it's um, it's an interesting space, uh, and we'll we'll see how it evolves. Uh, I actually so on 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 my blog fintech review, I published an article about it uh, yesterday around ticketing. So the tickets in in um, I, you know if you go to a concert or whatever, and transforming a ticket into an, an NFT. So. It's it's quite an interesting space, as you say. It, it could it could be like providing uh, diversification. I think, I mean, before that, you had other companies looking at uh, this kind of um, the the arts industry and try to see how they can uh, broaden the scope. So, if you look at Masterworks, for instance, where they try to pull together investors so they can buy a painting and then. I mean, so you own like a painting, so you don't need to be to be a, a billionaire to, to own uh, a, a super painting. You can get this exposure. So there are a few innovations around that space where 
it, it's gonna, as I said, I mean, when you look where we've been in past 10 years, uh, you can really build a portfolio of, uh, of a multimillionaire now with just like, you know, just a fraction of what you used to have, used to need 10 years ago. Um, still people don't take the opportunity to do it. That's where I feel like you know, there's more to do here and say, look, you can get exposure to that. You can get exposure to art, maybe through NFTs, maybe through investing into like a fund that invests into arts. So you just need to look at you know, how this fits into your strategy. But um, that's why, I mean, I think it's, it's quite, yeah, it's quite interesting the, the way like tokenized, like the way you can tokenize assets that were before that not really used or like the, the value would just sit there. And as an artist, you can actually gain, gain much more value now than just waiting for a rich guy to come up and say, oh, I like this painting. I'll put it in my living room. I'll give you like 200K or something. Yeah, that's a really good point you make about um, sort of opening up the world of, of luxuries that the billionaires and multimillionaires are usually doing. And now the average guy can get a piece of that. Um, I, wonder, I wonder how the, the billionaires feel about that. You know, it's not as exclusive to them anymore. But, um, but yeah, that's, re- that's a very interesting point. And yeah, Masterworks is what I was thinking of, I think. So thanks for, thanks for reminding me on that. Um, yeah, that's really cool. So you mentioned your, uh, uh, your website, FinTech Review. Why don't you, um, I was looking through it. There's some really interesting articles in there. Why don't you, uh, before we wrap up here, just you know, you know, pitch that. Yeah, sure. So I started it uh, early last year because, um, so I was working in London, working for a bank. I was kind of Mr. FinTech within bank and I was writing, writing articles and, and, and reports about like, you know, what's going on. Then I felt, oh, you know what? I should start a blog and, and spread my, my thoughts more widely. So started that. Then it evolved into being more like a small media. So I started doing interviews of business leaders and, and welcoming guest posts as well. So the one on NFT yesterday is a guest post. Um, so it's been good like to, to interact with people in the industry. I still, I still write articles as well. Uh, I, I, have my, I have a weekly newsletter also where I rant about like what's been going on in FinTech and what my thoughts are, are about. So um it's been a, it's been a good way for me yeah, to keep in touch with what's going on and to to like get a um another i mean i was very interested in fintech before but now I, i've gone in even deeper into what's going on and this is where i actually saw oh, okay i feel like this segment of the market is not covered and there is there is an opportunity here so that's why now i'm working on my own on my own startup awesome yeah the the startup i the startup idea you were talking about sounds really really cool so i would like to be kept up to date on that if possible um uh but um awesome so i think that's about all the time we got for today so i just wanted to say thank you tristan for coming on the show um i thought that was really good i, I mean i learned a lot so i think um the audience probably was able to as well yeah, thank, thanks for having me, David. Uh, I enjoyed enjoyed the chat. Uh, I mean, as you can see, I can talk a lot about this. So 
uh, it's good that you just, you know, cut it a bit because otherwise, you know, we're here until tomorrow. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I got a hard stop. So I got, I got to go, but um, I mean, we definitely could have kept going. There's a lot to talk about and I'll, we'll, I mean, I'll love to have you back on uh, a later, at a later time. So thanks again for coming on and um, look forward to keeping up with you. Yeah, sure. Sure. I'll, I'll keep you updated on how, how I'm doing this my right. is my new startup. All right. See ya. Email us at investsmarterpod at gmail.com with questions to be highlighted on the show. Thanks for listening and keep investing smarter.